Hello, I'm Rebecca, the founder of Trio, and welcome to Pep Talks with Trio. Trio is the leading solution for workplaces to support their people during every life transition, from starting a family to retiring, and every life event in between. On Pep Talks with Trio, we chat to our expert partners for advice on how to best navigate these common, complex, and often messy life stages that happen during our working career. Keep listening as we connect the dots between life and work with the simple aim of education and empowerment. After all, life happens at work. Hello, and today on Pep Talks with Trio, we're speaking with Tom Bosner, Managing Director of Pinnacle Health, and we'll be discussing the importance of wellbeing programs, even in a downturn. Welcome, Tom. Great to speak to you again. Thanks, Rebecca. It's been a little while since we chatted. Good to see you again. Uh, and you, and I love the fact that you've got your uh, cot in the background, because I think you'd only just had um, your second child when we last spoke, so... It's still good. living the dream. Yeah, still, still living, living the dream. dream. Uh, Working yeah, parenthood. <laughs> Absolutely. Still juggling. <laughs> Always juggle. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do at Pinnacle Health? Yeah, well, you've introduced me there as the managing director, which makes me sound semi-important. I'm not that important, but um, but yeah, I'm Tom. I've been at Pinnacle Health Group now, or we've been working in that business for um, about 15 years and my background is actually as a physiotherapist so I've been doing it for a while and basically the first idea or the first concept that we came up with um, which was fairly original at the time which is back when people were wearing um, carrying briefcases to work and, and blackberries to work as well and working nine that's to a five. Long time ago. <laughs> the, uh, yeah that's right the concept was a corporate wellness center so Basically, at Pinnacle Health Group, that's where we started. And, and since then, we've um, grown our business and, and I've been a part of growing the team across Melbourne, Sydney and different parts of Australia to, um, to help inspire healthy change in different workplaces. Amazing. So I know you've worked with over 200 organisations on their wellbeing strategy and creating wellbeing programs. What makes a wellbeing program successful? Yeah, well, it's it's a lot of clients that we've worked with. Um, they are from probably worth mentioning that they are from different sectors as well. And so whilst some of our bigger obvious clients are ANZ Westpac and EY are quite big and notable, we've got a range of clients from different, um, yeah, different sectors and different demographics. And so what we've found, though, over the last, especially the last three years, which have been a bit crazy with COVID, of course, and even before that, um, well-being programs especially were becoming more popular and, and certainly in the last year if you go on LinkedIn and, and you, you probably get haunted or, or sort of almost sick of seeing wellness program or people talking about um, you know met, mental health awareness uh, months every every what feels like every month and so um, there are a few key factors that make a well-being program really successful um, and Rebecca, what we've been doing the last three years is we actually worked with our clients, um, not all 200, but we picked um, a small co cohort to work with the, and we, we worked with them to try and figure out what makes a successful wellbeing program. And so we created an assessment from that, an assessment tool that everyone can use. Um, mm -hmm. I also think it's quite interesting as well that in Australia, there are lots of there's around 2 million um, small to medium-sized enterprises mm. versus 4,000 large businesses. SMEs, of course, making up such a large 
number, I kind of immediately think of those um, small to medium-sized business owners that are trying to work through or have worked through the last few years and how they can bring some value and a focus on well-being for their staff as well. And so with the well-being programs, however, yeah, the, the, the assessment tool that we've created is called the it's not that original it's called the workplace wellness uh, program scorecard and what it does is and, and the, there's there's a bunch of different segments that we that people can benchmark against and what we found by interviewing our clients is that there's really uh, around five key areas that really make a wellness program go really well and so um, the the acronym that we've come up with or the the, yeah, the thing that we uh, promote and talk about a lot is space. And so there's, yeah, the, the acronym meaning that S, the S starts and, and um, really stands for structure. Um, so basically, if an organisation is trying to start up a wellness program and where they've been over the last few years, especially and before that, sometimes that comes across as a little bit I guess scattergun and ad hoc with health events, or you know, let's do a let's do another well-being um, webinar, for example, and it comes across and presents as a little bit, yeah, scattergun. And so, mm-hmm. so one of the key elements of creating a really great program is having some really good structure. Um, and one of the things I wanted to share with you is that through the two thousand health and well-being uh, leaders that have filled out our assessment. Um, 80% of them actually said that they didn't uh, their, their, they didn't actually launch their well-being program with an official kickoff, um, meaning that you know under one of our guidelines is that if you're not really celebrating or starting the year off with a, a bang or a really um, your employees learning about your well-being program as a starting point, um, you're not really setting it up for good structure and also good promotion as well. Um, so that insight there is quite interesting from a structure perspective. Um, and when I say structure as well, I'm talking about like a plan, having a really solid plan for at least 12 months mm-hmm. so that employees really understand what's coming up in the program and also they can identify some of the things that they might like to get involved in as well um, mm-hmm. to suit their you know, well-being needs as well. And I think the big thing there that strikes me is if an organization isn't going to promote um, their wellbeing program, then they're not going to get the ROI on it either. And also, if you're not getting, if you're not promoting it and people aren't using it, you're not going to, not only you're not going to get the ROI, but your people aren't going to benefit from it, which is the whole reason why you put it in in the first place is to help people. If people don't know it's there or they, you know, they can't access it, then, you know, you're really dropping the ball. Yeah, ex- exactly. It's it's just a really missed opportunity, especially because so we know that so much work goes into creating a strategy. And and for the bigger companies, they'll have their own team of health and wellbeing leaders that can you know they can work on their own strategy and maybe use our assessment just as a cross reference. But what we've actually found um, to our surprise is that yeah, that missing that that real kickoff or that real promotion and celebration of what they've put together, um, which. Yeah, if you miss that, you then miss the engagement, obviously, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, Rebecca, just another one that's like the, the, I didn't get through, I didn't talk you through the whole the whole acronym, but the P starts for um, in the wellbeing program scorecards, stands for psychological safety. Um, you've probably heard a lot about that. Um, obviously, it's a really key element to just 
a workplace, um, but within a wellbeing program, there's definitely some things that can be done to enhance psychological state safety. And, um, you know, I guess at a basic level, psych safety is about, you know, team members feeling safe, um, you know, freedom to share their thoughts or, you know, feeling supported and coached when needed, um, but also being allowed to have take risks in their role, but measured risks and making sure they're sort of allowed to do that. Um, and so within that, I guess what I'm talking about is, well, I'm, I'm kind of going into initiatives or things that can be done here, but what we've found as well through our chatting with clients and, and assessments is that leaders generally don't feel, they don't feel that skilled or comfortable in having one-on-one -on -one conversations with their, their staff. And um, through our assessment as well that we've created in the 2000 uh, 2000 plus survey that we collected, 70% have said that they actually um, don't have regular access to their managers to have one-on-one -on -one conversations for feedback with their team leader. Um, so that seems like an obvious, you know, one to, to address and also through, you know, through leadership training which and development, which is something that we, we do through our programs. Um, you can really just upskill your leaders in, how to have that conversation mm. it sounds like then that employees are looking to have more access to their leaders and their managers to have these conversations but on the flip side those leaders also need to be able to address the more well or emotional element of leadership is to have some training in terms of well how do I support people which is one of the things that we always talk about is leaders how is a leader meant to be across, you know, having all of these conversations when life happens to your people at work, whether it's parental leave, mental health, divorce, mm -hmm. menopause, whatever it is, those are really hard conversations and it's they're often complex people issues and highly emotive. And it's not surprising then that leaders are reluctant or unsure or not confident having those conversations because they are complex and emotive and, and challenging to have. But it sounds like actually the people do want to have access to these, have those conversations. But to do that, you have to have a psychologically safe environment for both parties to be able to have those authentic conversations. And psychological safety is can be quite hard mm. for organisations to create, right? Because it has to be, be come from the top, culturally come down um, so that everyone feels that they can show up fully and completely as themselves. Exactly. Look, it's it's been bloody hard for, for leaders, uh, let's be honest. And, you know, I've had leaders of very large teams in corporates say to me as we're going through our consultation around this, they're like, am I meant to be a psychologist? And, and the answer is, well, no. Um, however, there's, there's conversational skills and one-on-ones that could be sort of ritualised into their, into their um, team environment. Um, there's also a lot of other elements that I'm not really touching on such as like role clarity and structure around everyone's role and meaning and you know feeling dependent um, depended on and that kind of thing there's heaps to it but I just think it is a starting point and what we found is that you know we've, we've talked a lot about employee burnout in the last um, few years but leadership burnout as well is, is quite has been quite significant meaning that you know leadership the whole game has changed really fast and so everyone's trying to catch up and figure out where they where they sit and how to how to lead in a hybrid workplace mm. so p psychological safety 
A? What's what? Where are we at with A? Yeah, yeah. No, thanks. Thanks for keeping me on track with with A. It's it's really about awareness. Um, and so this seems obvious, and this acronym seems so simple. But when we've broken it down and put it in our assessment tool, awareness is all about marketing um, effectively. So how do you mark? You, you know, you might have a bunch of health and safety or health and well-being people putting together this amazing program with lots of stuff in it. Um, but as we, as I said at the start, if they're not launching it and more importantly, if they're not consistently marketing or messaging this out through the different channels that are available in a corporate environment or even in a blue collar environment, and we've seen mm-hmm. our marketing um, assistance to like a corporate where they might use Yammer versus uh, an industrial site where they might use posters and QR codes in the lunchroom. There's different ways that you can promote what you're offering, but the key is that you don't do all the work at the start and then you forget to uh, promote it uh, as regularly as you can. And so one of the other parts of awareness is that what we want to do is create a one of the key parts of creating a successful wellbeing program is creating a wellbeing committee um, where you know your wellbeing champions, which I'll talk about in a second, they get together at a regular cadence, it might be quarterly, for example, and they review the wellbeing program and plan and tweak and make you know adjustments as they go. And so through our assessments um, that we've collected, um, 60% have said that they're not actually meeting quarterly as a wellbeing committee, uh, meaning that, you know, they've or my assumption here is that they're not reviewing things at a regular pace. Therefore, probably um, the awareness and the promotion that would come out of those types of meetings. Um, is probably then slowing down as the years go, as the year goes by. And, and mm-hmm. fair enough, because there's a lot that can happen in a um, large or small organisation. Mm-hmm. So C is obviously your champions. And that, that that's obviously important because that's going to keep the, uh, the focus on well-being across the organisation. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the big things of, of champions is, in every, in every team or every organisation or small business, there always is a very enthusiastic bunch of people that will get involved in all the wellbeing initiatives. Maybe they're a, a passionate fitness person. Maybe they um, have a lived experience in mental health that they want to share perhaps. Or maybe they're a working parent that is juggling and they a part of a community group that they would like to bring into the workplace. Um, with the champions, though, one of the key parts of that is one of the key questions that we talk about is does the CEO or the team leader get involved and also be a champion for the health and wellbeing initiatives or programs that are in place? Um, and so 50% said that the CEO director um, hadn't really got involved or haven't been involved in the communications or the championing of the of the program. Uh, I feel like that's a missed opportunity. We've got clients where the CEO is 100% part of the whole thing, um, and those those companies really those uh, engagements in those wellbeing programs huge in in comparison. Um, I also think that. One of the other elements of of champions is, as I said earlier, is just getting together at a regular 
rhythm um, to then create or deviate the plan as needed. Um, and with that comes those champions meeting their other employees um, or their other teams and getting feedback as they go so they understand what's working and what's not. Because just like a startup, it's important to adjust and change the plan if needed. Yeah, that makes total sense, doesn't it? And what about E? Yeah, well, E is all about evaluation. And as a physiotherapist by background, I've come from a a science-y background, if you like, where, you know, we assess people, we treat them and we reassess. And so with a program, um, it needs to be backed by evidence and science. It can't be just um, lots of yoga classes or it can't just be lots of webinars without much measurement of health outcomes. Um, And so... One of the key things for evaluation, and we do this um, with very, very large clients, um, where we look at the organisational health profile and we collect um, different data points. And what we then do is um, look at the before and the after with those assessment points so that then we can report back to the organisation. And some of those data points might be around um, chronic disease risk factors, um, it might be around mental health as well. And so before we actually kick off a wellbeing program in more in the strategy phase, we actually work out what do you want assessed and therefore and what changes do we need to make. And what we find is that once the report is done on those assessment and those data points are collected, we can look at before and after. And then what we can do is plan for the following year so that it ends up being, it might be year one is a program that's specifically um, looking to reduce a certain disease risk factor. And then the following program uh, that follows is more around increasing activity perhaps or physical activity to help address the findings from the year before. Um, What we've also through our assessment findings, we're finding that about 50% of those respondents have said that they aren't comparing year to year. Um, Those data points, meaning that, you know, each year they're sort of, perhaps starting from scratch or they're going a little bit more on feel rather than data and what they actually need. So evaluation is obviously really important. So organisations come up with, this is what I want, this is what we're looking for and this is what we want to get, you know, from an outcome. Mm. Now, if we look at, focus on the outcome that people are getting, I think employee wellbeing and focus on wellbeing in a downtown is the strategic priority. It it shouldn't be the the thing that gets shelved from a financial perspective because actually the value it delivers within an organisation is is high. So if we were to look at those evaluations and you know the outcomes that you're seeing with your clients. What would you, you know, what do they look like? You know, what what are the reasons? What can people expect, organisations and leaders expect to achieve by maintaining their focus on well-being, even through these, you know, these challenging times? Yeah, it's a good point around challenging times or, you know, uh, economic downturn. We're seeing a lot of startups or a lot of tech businesses um, completely wiping the, a, lot, a lot of their workforces to, to sort of ride the bumps of, of the, the times. Um, I guess with wellbeing programs, there's different different ways to look at it. One of them could be, and this is this is the conversations that we're often in each each week with with new clients or, or different, you know, existing clients. 
they can look at it in a couple of ways. So it could be that the wellbeing program is a way to attract and retain um, Gen Z employees. We know that Gen Zers are taking over the workforce and will make up quite a significant amount of the workforce by uh, 2035 or 20, I think I think it's 2035, they'll make up about 70% of the workforce. Mm-hmm. And their number one priority in a workplace is um, flexibility is number one. Number two is wellbeing and th- um, three is pay and the fourth one is actually uh, learning and career opportunities. Um, I've, quoted a, I've quoted a research paper there, but I don't know the name of the research paper, but that's something that I've read uh, not too long ago. And so you can look at it as like, all right, well, if, if we are going through an economic downturn, what are we, we there's, a, there's a lot of talent out there and they're, they're maybe a little bit pickier than, um, than previous or that they've actually got more, more options now. Um, so, so let's let's put this well-being lens on this. Let's make make sure where our program includes flexibility, flexible working policies, obviously. Um, but let's look at a program that really caters to that demographic and what they're going through in their life. So maybe that's um, an employee who's maybe looking at their finances and looking at buying a house. So why don't we put financial well some financial well-being? In there, maybe that's important to them. Uh, maybe they're a, a new parent or a young, you know, they're, they're hitting that age where they might become parents. Um, so working parents programs to assist these types of, of people. Um, we know that with wellbeing programs or an effort and targeted um, targeted effort around mental health, that there's a, there's a great return on investment, um, meaning that for for it's a six to one a return, if that makes any sense to you. So, for every um, for every dollar spent, is six dollars um, return return on that on that effort, which is which is I think is a good you know a good okay. return. Um, the other factor as well that I briefly touched on, and because I'm a physiotherapist by background, I'm really interested in chronic diseases as they develop through someone's lifetime. Um, one of the things that's important with chronic diseases, and, and when I say chronic diseases and our evaluation part of a program, what we can actually do through that is pick up the risk factors, the health risk factors for people developing chronic diseases because they develop during someone's working life. Mm. Um, but one of the key sort of bits of information or relevant information here is that workers with two or more chronic illnesses um, take two and a two and a half times um, absence when they're off sick than those with one or none. Um, so what that really means is that you really, as an organisation, you, you really want to focus on insur- chronic diseases, by the way, are things like uh, heart disease, diet, type 2 diabetes, um, obesity, really anything that's preventable um, is a chronic disease and pre- and how do you prevent it? It's actually through lifestyle modification and um, and health education as well. So I'm a big believer that workplaces are effectively little mini communities. And um, when it comes to health problems um, that, that sit in workplaces, they're actually the same as population health problems um, that exist in the, the wider community. Um, and so we just see it mirrored, but in a, in a micro uh, community, which is the workplace um, with a specific demographic and isn't that interesting because actually your workplace then has such a potential to positively or negative impact the health of that 
community, that micro, my, that microcosm, right, mm. of society, be in the workplace. So, I mean, we, we, we've done a lot of work in uh, looking at um, talking to people around burnout. And obviously that's persistent chronic stress within the workplace that causes this. And then the effects of burnout can be chronic physical disease and, and mm. you know, mental um, challenges and mental illness. Um, so isn't it fascinating that actually, and all of that has a massive cost impact to an organisation, as well as the individual, as well as that individual's, the ripple effect into home, family, mm. community. So if we then can ravel it all back and, and look at the value that actually a well-being, focusing on well-being and well-being programs um, at every and any stage of an organisation, at any size and economic environment, has such a positive ROI, actually, um, both from an individual and collective and organisational level because the more well and productive your people are the less time they're going to have off the more engaged that they're going to be the less turnover you're going to have we know attrition is hugely costly mm. um so this is you know this is why i truly believe that employee well-being is is a strategic priority and it should be something that organizations should look at um it's fascinating and the one last thing I'd love to find out from you, you know, you're working with a lot of organizations. What are the people, the employees? So, you know, we've spoken about the leaders and the benefit to leaders and the benefit to organizations. What are people enjoying? You know, if if um, somebody's listening to this podcast, and they're going, okay, I'm going to start on a wellbeing program. Um, what do the people want? You know, we, we, you know, we know the benefits to organizations and leaders, but if mm -hmm. somebody was going to start with something, what are the employees? What are they really enjoying at the moment? Um, you know, that th somebody would go, yeah, that's that, you know, and I know it's not, there's, there is no one size fits all because we've got, you know, the, yeah, the yeah. younger people, we've got multi-generational workforces, but, you know, what are the, what are the activities or um, parts of the program that you're getting great engagement with? Yeah, no, great question. And you're right. It's um, every Every client is slightly um, different, but I'll, I'll summarise what we're doing right now for companies and what basically drives, what, what is the most engaged right now. We obviously offer a lot of different services at Pinnacle um, that include things that are in the preventative health space. There's also health education. Um, we've created a, a club called Pinnacle Performance Club, which is all around performance and um, education and coaching. Mm -hmm. So, to answer your question, though, the number one in the, the number one engaged service at Pinnacle Health Group right now, um, and actually annually as well, you might be surprised. Um, it's actually a skin cancer check, really, as an initiative. And the reason why, or well, the assumptions that I'm, I'll tell you why I think it's the most engaged. Um, so basically, we would do way more than 20,000 skin checks um, a year across different organisations all over Australia and New Zealand. And where I'm surprised by this one as well because you're probably thinking, oh, there's probably something more fun than a skin, a skin check <laughs> assessment uh, or a skin cancer assessment. And, you know, well, it's certainly more like useful than a fruit bowl. 
<laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Now, the the reason why I think this is the most engaged, and this is just one of you know many different services, of course, within a program. Um, but the, the reason is that what and what we've surveyed and find and what we how we follow up is that when we've surveyed these people afterwards, seventy one percent of them. For 71% of our clients that have done these skin checks, it's their first ever skin check. Wow. Skin cancer check. Yeah. And what, what we find as well, and this is this is why we talk about, you know, why it's such an impactful one, is that naturally through doing so many skin cancer checks, we pick up mm-hmm. skin can skin, skin cancer in these yeah. employees. And so what we've um, and and each campaign is different based on you know we've got clients that are working outdoors they're obviously a higher risk um, but in the last month there's been ten uh, that we've picked up ten uh, melanomas that are obviously like gee whiz this is this is pretty you know serious so then they get referred and then they um, and then they get treated and so the feedback we get from that is you, you literally this my workplace has literally um, helped save my so save my life in this case because I didn't know about it. I've never had one and uh, I wouldn't have got one unless it was offered. So that's our number one, <laughs> that's our number one service. And yeah, it's not a, it's, it's not a, you know, exciting uh, fitness challenge or anything that's, you know, crazy, like you said, fr- fresh fruit or, you know, yoga, those types of things, but it's a really important one because if you think about it, um, blokes are terrible at going to the GP Women are better. Um, however, these types of services, if you bring them to the workplace and you promote it properly, you get high engagement. And we don't really care about the engagement. We care more about the results and the outcomes. So when we do prevent um, someone from developing further um, an issue on their skin, it's a massive, massive win for us. And we we celebrate that as a team. And obviously, at the time of recording this, it's going into summer or in Melbourne it still looks like winter but it's going into warmer period um, and so we're absolutely flat out with our um, demoscopist nurses that are flying all over Australia getting getting heaps of this work done so so that's our number one um, thing highly engaged um, the the second one which I might mention and please cut me off if I'm talking too much but the Pinnacle Performance Club which is the new service that we're offering basically it's health education but instead of it being a uh what i call a jow which is a just another well-being workshop um what we've done is we've turned it into a interactive coach health coaching session um so basically every speaker or educator that we have through the pinnacle performance club we've got some awesome speakers um, that speak on working parents um women in leadership mindfulness, meditation, all the different pillars and career well-being as well, all the different pillars of well-being. Mm-hmm. These are highly engaged because we've changed up the style of how you're meant to do a workshop, which is the probably for me, the bane of my, I hate that word, by the way, um, yeah. a workshop turning it into a health co- interactive coaching session. So these are done in person. And what we're finding now is that, as the world has gone back to being a little bit more in person, mm-hmm. um, our requests for that service have increased quite a lot because people want to connect again socially in a workplace. Um, we know that everyone's, well, not everyone's lonely, but one in two Australians are reported feeling yeah, lonely yeah. after um, after COVID or still COVID, but after mm-hmm. COVID. Um, so 
those opportunities to connect socially in the workplace um, are important. And on my, you know, I do a podcast well workplaces and your episodes about to come through episode 77, I think, uh, Rebecca, but um, I chatted with someone the other day who is in the world of design and looking at how they design workplaces. And he said, he, he said um, that workplaces are going to start to look like homes. Um, so a, a place where people can relax and collaborate in a more informal way. And so our whole, all of our services around health coaching are really around how can we make this a bit more uh, connect, you know, more connected because we want people to come, not to come back to the workplace, but come together so that they can, you know, enjoy each other's company. And instead of that leader that feels um, burnt out or not, doesn't know how to have one-on-one conversations, he can have a coffee with them all in a, in a, you know all at once or you know connect with people in the real world (laughs) I think that's so important and a couple of things you know social capital social connection is incredibly Mm. important for well-being so you know just bringing people together is going to have a positive impact on well-being the other thing that cut that came out with that second um option there is people don't know what they don't know. And one people can only take action when they have awareness around what's what's available or what might be wrong. Um, you know, or I'm making these choices because that's what I've always done and it's what I've always known. And, you know, th- that's the only option I have. And it's like, well, actually, there might, if these are all the other options, you know, it's so with that health coaching, it's like you're creating an awareness and options for people that might need them, but they wouldn't necessarily know it's available. I think it's brilliant. And even just the the contrast between what I think a lot of people will think a wellbeing program looks like, maybe, you know, yoga and fruit bowls, um, but, you know, skin checks, health coaching, you know, it is vast and it is um, broad and it really, you know, can be then tailored to, what is your organization's goals? What are the outcomes you're looking to deliver? Who is within your workforce? Because we do have some organizations with multi-general, um, multi-generational mm. workforces. Um, and you know, and align it to those strategic requirements of an organization in terms of whether it's employee engagement, acquisition, retention, and so forth. Mm. Tom, it's been so good talking to you. Um, you know, I well-being as I say you know I think is is critical now in the the you know the the future of work um, more than ever um so thank you for these insights it, they've been brilliant oh I could talk all day so yeah I'm, I'm glad you're wrapping me because I could just keep talking so yeah thanks thanks Rebecca it's been a lovely chat as always it's been great thank you very much Thank you for listening. To find out more about how Trio can support your people, visit trio.com.